Thank you, Catherine. Now, one of our, our values as a church is authenticity, isn't it? And I think that Catherine is one of our worship leaders who brings that particularly to, to when she leads. It's always completely authentic, Catherine, so thank you for that. So, um, the Ten Commandments, we keep on going, don't we? Backwards, obviously. So surely, after adultery, murder, lying, and stealing, then this one's going to be a breeze, isn't it? Remember the Sabbath. What can possibly go wrong? I'm going to start by asking you a quick question. If you could choose any superpower, what would it be? I need some feedback, people. Flying. Yeah, James. Knowing what women are thinking. <laughs> that's not a superpower, that's a miracle, that one. <laughs> Anything else? Never-ending energy. Oh, my gosh. Ollie, have you got one? You put your hand up. Super speed, that would be cool, wouldn't it, as well? You see, for me, my superpower is related to that story in Joshua, the one where God made the sun stand still and bought him some time. Uh, if only, if only I could just press pause, pause on the days off for more extended resting. And pause on those days when you think that you're doing quite well, but if only you could have about five of them in a row, then you could get everything done on your to-do list and you could actually get to the point in your life where you think that you're organized. And then you could press go again. And then it would all be fine, wouldn't it? You see, that is my superpower that I'm uh, longing for. I'm not praying about it, truthfully, I'm not. (laughs) But before we get started on talking about the Sabbath, I want us to talk a little bit first about time. There was that book, A Brief History of Time, which was lots of things, but not brief. There never seems to be enough time, does there? How many of us have heard ourselves saying that even this week? I just don't seem to have enough time. We don't know where time goes. I don't know where all the time has gone. Well, I mean, it's such a bizarre statement because it's gone the same place all the rest of time has ever gone, isn't it? Doesn't it just seem to fly by? And people tell you, when you were young, I vaguely can remember that, that time goes faster. And it does, it just seems to go faster. We never seem to have any moments to spare. Every single moment is rammed full of something. We fill the time. We manage the time. We even waste time. We have made time into a commodity, which given that we are a consumer culture, is hardly surprising that time is one of the things that we consume or treat in that way. But time is as it ever was, isn't it? From the moment that God created the world and people in it, because of course God is outside of time, a second has always been the same length. And a minute has always been 60 seconds and the same length. And there have always been 24 hours in a day. 
And the earth has spun in a 365 and a quarter days. You know, it's always been the same. Time has not sped up. It has not changed. It is utterly constant. And it is the same. And the best of our technology has only ever achieved for us the possibility of measuring how fast time flies ever more accurately. But it hasn't changed anything about it. Time passes at the same rate, whether you are rich or poor, in whatever country you live. We know that time is finite, and we also know that the demands upon it are infinite. We are so dysfunctional as a culture that we sometimes feel that if we're not rushed off our feet, then there's something wrong with us. And so on the days when someone says, are you busy? And I say, no, I feel that perhaps I ought to apologize. Paul Tournier, who was both a psychologist and pastor, talked about the world suffering from universal fatigue. Universal fatigue. How many of you this week have woken up and gone, oh, it can't be morning already. I'm still tired. Or I wish that I had a few more hours in my day. We are living in the mad, mad world in terms of time. But time is actually still the same. But in the midst of it all, the Sabbath is God's gift to the world. The Sabbath is God's gift to the world. Sabbath, which simply means rest, is God's gift to us. But hey, we're too busy to unwrap it, right? We don't have time for the Sabbath. We have this amazing gift, gift wrap with bows on it, and it's left in the corner because, well, I just don't have time. I'm too busy. I can't fit that in my schedule. But it's God's gift to us. Do you remember the story that um, we commented on, I think, a couple of weeks ago, of where God provides manna for the people of Israel in the wilderness. And he says to them on the sixth day, I want you to collect twice as much. And that's the only day that it's not going to rot and have maggots in it if you collect twice as much. Because on the seventh day, and it uses that word, I'm giving you a gift. A gift of rest. We have a gift from the creator of the universe. From our, if you like, heavenly manufacturer, the one who made us, who knows how we're wired, a day of rest. But we know better than that, don't we? So let's have a quick reminder, shall we? Around the purpose of the Ten Commandments, before we look at this one in more detail. You know, God gave them the law after they had left Egypt and before they entered the promised land, when they were still in the wilderness. And it was all about their identity as God's people. Who were they? How were they going to behave? How and who were they going to worship? And how were they going to be distinctly different from the surrounding peoples? And that's still why we have the law and the commandments, if you like, is to help us to understand what it's like to be God's people. It's all about our identity. And this commandment 
is no more optional than the others. So we have learned that we should not lie or steal or covet or commit adultery. We have learned that we need to honor our parents and all the depth behind those very simple statements. And this one is also a command. But somehow it's a bit easier to break than the other ones, isn't it? It's kind of acceptable to break the Sabbath commandment, isn't it? In a way that it's not acceptable to do some of the other things. And the consequences, well, you know, they're not so obvious, are they, really? Or aren't they? There are two different versions. And normally, you understand, I do pictures more than words in my PowerPoints. But today, we have a lot of words. They are very small words. So if you can't see them, don't worry too much because there's a purpose behind it. There are two different versions of this commandment. First of all, from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8 to 11, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Then we have the same command in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It says this, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter nor your male or female servant nor your ox, your donkey or any of your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. This is the longest commandment. Isn't that strange? This is the one that is the longest out of all the commandments. There are similarities and there are differences. But they both start like this. Remember the Sabbath or observe the Sabbath. But we even have a problem with that bit, don't we? Before we've even moved on to the more challenging bits, it's easy to forget in our 24-7, 365 hamster wheel world It's hard even to remember the Sabbath. But it's not just about remembering. Because the next thing that it says is, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Holy. A parallel to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3, after the creation story, it says this, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done He blessed things. He blessed creatures. He blessed humans. He blessed the day. When he blessed things, he gave them the life-giving ability ability to give life. So as creatures, they are able to bring more life. As humans, we are able to bring life. This day that God blessed is supposed to be a life-giving day. He worked. It was good. He rested to refill us with life-giving energy. And this day is holy. That word is the word kadosh, the, the word that is mostly used for God. You know, the rabbis have this um, 
what they call the principle of first mention. So they look through mainly the Torah and they say, where is a particular word first mentioned? Because they believe that it has greater significance. It helps us to understand how it's meant to be used if we look at where it's first mentioned. The first time that this word holy is used in scripture is not for God. It's for time. That's kind of strange, isn't it? That it holy is not initially used for God, but for time. Other religions tend to have spaces, mountains, temples, shrines, but we have holy time. Abraham Heschel spoke about this, the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. Maybe that raises the bar a little bit on what we think. Holy simply means set apart, different, dedicated to God, a day for rest and for worship, and we'll come back to that in a moment. God's word reminds us that we need to keep this day holy, set apart, different, guard it. So easy to desecrate the Sabbath day, to make every day exactly the same. But we are supposed to keep the Sabbath holy. So, same thing. Two versions, similarities. We're on the purple bit just now. Says this, On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals, specifies donkeys and oxen in the other one, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. This is totally outstanding. I don't know if we realize that. That not anyone should work. Not anyone, not even the animals. You know, this says to us that we are stewards over the whole of creation so that everyone needs to rest. Now, truthfully, we have never seen our cats do a day's work, ever. So it doesn't mention cats. It mentions working animals. But it says, you know, as stewards over creation... Even the animals under our care need to rest and not be worked all of the time, every single day, because they'll come to harm. It reminds us that every single person is created in the image of God. If there was a hierarchy here, it would go, you know, the Lord and master of the house. Well, then we could kind of understand that he needs a day off. I use he advisedly, by the way. But it also says... The children shouldn't work. Well, children were kind of a nothing. I mean, they weren't significant. They weren't of value particularly. But the children shouldn't work. But then it says, neither should your slaves work. You know, that's sort of like amazing. Slaves were, were like a nothing. They were just there to slave, to be at your beck and call, to do whatever you wanted. You, you could rest, but... For God to say that the slave should not rest, what kind of identity, what kind of God cares about slaves? And even the foreigner in your town, the refugee, the asylum seeker, the person who doesn't know that they're yet part of the people of God, even they should be granted this gift of rest And when I look at this, I think, oh, to belong to a nation, a people group who worship this kind of God. 
This kind of a God who cares so much for all people, whatever their status, because they are all created in his image. And even for animals, that we are all gifted a day of rest. So up to this point, it's pretty much the same in both versions. And then it changes. So in the Exodus version, it says this, the turquoisey bit, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. And here we see that this commandment is rooted in God's own activity in creation. Six days he worked and created, and then he rested. Why? Because he was exhausted? Okay, you're supposed to say no at that point. Slightly worrying. Not because he was exhausted. He sustained the whole universe for millennia. He didn't get worn out on the first six days. He rested to show us a pattern to live by, for all humanity to live by, for our well-being, for our shalom, an opportunity. God took an opportunity to reflect, to delight, to enjoy the fruit of his labor. He made it all. And he looked at it and he went, wow, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Let's just stop for a moment and just look at how amazing this world is. How complex, how creative, how intricate. All the weird and wacky animals, duck-billed platypuses, aardvarks, wolverines, they're like weird, aren't they, as well? Giraffes! I mean, who ever thought of making a giraffe? And human beings? He just stopped and said, this is the rhythm. Let's stop, let's rest, let's delight, let's appreciate everything that there is. We're kind of familiar with this story, aren't we? So actually, it doesn't impact us hugely much. But within its context, it was really different. And its context was the ancient Near East. And there were loads of stories of creation and how things came about. And one of the most famous was one called Enuma Elish, which was the Babylonian story of creation. And in this story, the gods work, but after a while, they get really tired and fed up of work. And so um, they start to complain to Marduk, Marduk, who's king of the gods. And they say, we don't want to do this anymore. We're fed up of working. We just want to rest. Just be on an eternal holiday. And so together they come up with this ingenious plan. And their ingenious plan is to outsource work. And guess who they outsource work to? Human beings. They outsource work to humanity. And so they get to like rest on a cloud whilst human beings labor and toil. And most of the creation stories are similar. They say work is tiresome. Work is beneath the gods. Work is a burden to humans. It's like cheap slave labor so that the gods can sit back and they can be at ease. No, our God doesn't hate work. He made work. He made us to work. That's a whole other sermon. And given that I ran out of time for this one, we'll not go on to that one. But, you know, he created us to work. Work is of God. He enjoys it. The story starts with him creating 
And when I say work, just to be clear, we're not just talking about paid nine-to-five employment here. We're talking about the things that make us significant, that are fulfilling, that we give our lives to in all sorts of different ways. So please don't sit there thinking, well, she's not talking about me. I am talking about you. It just looks a bit different to different people. He creates a world for us to experience and enjoy his presence in which we are not slaves but co-creators. We are partners with God in the work of his world. And his rest is a gift to us as part of the rhythm of our lives. And we need to understand that rhythm. Because it's when we come out of that rhythm that things start getting a bit messy. So the rhythm is work and rest. Work and rest. Rest and work, whichever way you want to look at it. It's about creativity and Sabbath. How many of you have had the best ideas ever when you've been, quote, bored? Because you need to stop. You need to create space. You need to have that kind of mooching around time, the kind of pondering time, the time when you're not fully engaged in everything else in order to be creative. And creativity does not mean cake decorating, by the way. Creativity is the things that we, well, it can do, the things that we do that are part of the way God made us, that express something of his image. We need to get this rhythm between fruitfulness and abiding. Jesus says that we need to abide in him, and out of that we will produce fruit. Now, gardening is hardly my strength in life, but I do understand that there's fallow times and fruitful times, and we need that rhythm in our lives. If we are constantly fruitful, and by the way, this applies to our church as well. Now, you can't always be in summer. Sometimes you, you have to just calm down a little bit to have that rhythm in order to abide and to be fruitful. The Sabbath is based in creation, But the Deuteronomy passage says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Remember you were slaves. Remember this is about identity. You were slaves. But the Lord rescued you. He brought you out and you have a new identity. You were slaves. So my question is this, why do we retain our identity as slaves when actually we're free. There was the god Marduk, the Babylonian god. There was Pharaoh. And now we have the 21st century work ethic. Why are we still slaves when actually we are free? We talk about the tyranny of the urgent, which is only maximized by this, isn't it? I mean, you can get me 24-7, seven days a week, every day of the year. And please, I am not worse than most of the rest of you, am I? There is something on the side here. I don't know what it does. (laughs) The tyranny of the urgent. I can't possibly miss anything. I can't not reply immediately. If I turn it off for a day, the world will stop. Someone might think, I don't care about them. I might not be able to contribute into this really urgent thing that's going on, and that might change the course of it completely forever. 
something really, really serious might happen and then I wouldn't know. Tyranny of the urgent. We are enslaved by our technology some of the time. I mean, it's a servant to us as well. It's not all bad. <laughs> but sometimes we are enslaved by it. The domination of our workplaces, the expectations are, are ever-growing. And I know that that's so difficult to deal with. Because if everybody else is fitting in that pattern, then how can you not fit in that pattern? And more and more hours are lost to the workplace through stress, through emotional and physical breakdown, through just the fact that we are not designed to work like this for the amount of time that we work like it. We are constantly trying to leave the rat race. Who's in charge? Whose rhythm are we following? I did uh, history for A-level. Somebody needed to. And uh, we spent two whole years learning every single detail about the French Revolution. I seriously mean every single detail about the French Revolution. And by the end of it, by now, I can remember the same thing I knew before we started, which was the date. But one of the few things that has lodged in my mind is the fact that during that time of the Enlightenment, they tried to throw out everything that was to do with the church and Christian faith. They just tried to get rid of it absolutely entirely. And so what they did was they started a 10-day week because they wanted to decimalize everything. So they said, well, let's have a 10-day week. I mean, who on earth ever thought that seven was a good thing anyway? So for a while, they had a 10-day week. But you know what happened? People couldn't sustain a 10-day week because we're designed for a seven-day week. Six days, five, six days on, depending on how you define work. One day a Sabbath. So they had to go back to the seven-day week because it didn't last having a 10-day week. How are we demonstrating our identity as the people of God? And I think, the more I've thought about this this week, that it's, the battle is on. You know, it's easy to think that lying is a sin and stealing is a sin and adultery is a sin and, you know, that's kind of easy. But actually, the battle is on over busyness in our culture right now about a wrong understanding of work. Work is a gift from God to do, to be fulfilled, to have significance and all that kind of stuff. But a wrong understanding that everything about our life is about work. Even our leisure feels like attainment and achievement. And, you know, you've got to do more of it. You've got to do better at it. You've got to do longer at it. It's a battle. Because God, sorry, because the enemy knows that if he can keep us enslaved to work, to busyness, to being pressured, to feeling stressed, to being exhausted, then we can't be the people that we are in Christ, doing the things that he's called us to do entirely. We need to make sure that we're not driven by money or status or ambition, not those things in themselves are not wrong, promotion to the point at which we are denying the things that God has asked us to do, commanded us to do. So, brief bit of history, brief. In the olden days, initially, the Sabbath was from Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. All right, That's what the Jews hold as their Sabbath. The early Christians 
began to celebrate Resurrection Day, which was Sunday, the first day of the week, and as the Lord's Day. The reality was that many of them would have been working, so they would have had to gather together really, really early before work or after work in order to worship together. That is still true in many places. There is not a Sunday when you are in a Muslim country to gather together to worship for the whole of Sunday morning. It doesn't work like that. So it doesn't always look the same in different places. I say that because people get themselves properly aerated about these things, right? It wasn't until Constantine in 300 and something AD when he Christianized the whole of the known world and said that the day of worship will be equated with the Sabbath will be Sunday. So it kind of helps us to have an idea of that. Many of us, this was, the many was like all at the 9.15, many of us remember Sunday when it used to be really different. Sunday where the shops were not open like any shops, where you couldn't go to the doctors or the whatever, whatever, you know, you couldn't do pretty much anything unless it was an absolute emergency. You couldn't do sports activities. Your kids couldn't do activities. Basically, the world kind of like shut down on Sunday. It was easy to keep the Sabbath when everyone kept the Sabbath, if it was the Sabbath. It was easy to have that day as different because, well, everyone was having it as different. So there wasn't really much tension and challenge. It was easy. I grew up in, uh, in a Christian family and I understood that my responsibility on Sunday was to go to church and uh, for me, not for my younger brothers, my parents had given up by that point. Uh, we weren't allowed to watch television on a Sunday afternoon. Our, ha- our house got more liberal as the kids. <laughs> we, I wasn't allowed to watch telly on Sunday afternoon. I wasn't allowed to go out in the street and play with my friends on Sunday afternoon. I understood that Sunday was supposed to be different. And it was different. And I understood that to such a point that I never, I never did schoolwork on a Sunday, ever. Through my whole school career and my whole university career, I never did schoolwork or uni work on a Sunday. I don't say that to my credit. I say that because I understood that that's how things were expected to be. And so that's what I did. Right. This is perfect, Lisa. Right. Other Lisa says to her daughter, you probably need to stay at home this morning, Sunday, and, um, and finish off that art project that you've got a little bit. But, and, you know, and, and maybe if you finish, you might be able to go to youth stuff tonight at church. Not perfect, all right? Just in case you're getting worried just then. No, because things have changed so much, haven't they? And it's so difficult now. Do you let your child go play rugby on a Sunday morning? Do you run a triathlon on a Sunday morning? What do you do? See, the Lord's Day is about worship. It's about gathering together for worship. It's about using, it's one of the days where we use some of the gifts that God has given us to serve one another. It's what our Sunday gang people are doing and our youth people are serving. It's when we 
Realize that as a priority as God's people, we need to be together. Now, I know we can have a lot of conversations about that just now in our culture, but when I know that people in different parts of the globe are willing to lay down their life, literally willing to lay down their life so they can meet together with other believers, kind of begs a few questions, doesn't it? About the priority of worship together. It's where we learn together. Sabbath is about rest and restoration. It's around getting that life-giving energy back into us. It's around enjoying the gift of God. When it came to Jesus' time, and we're not going to do this in any detail, by the time of Jesus, the written law about the Torah had 613 commandments. And then the Mishnah, which was the Pharisees and so on, trying to make things clearer, added another 1,500 rules to that. So by Jesus' time, there were so many rules and regulations about how to keep the Sabbath that they kind of missed the point entirely. And so these stories, the one that Rachel read, and then there's another one around how Jesus healed someone at the pool of Bethsaida. There's another one about how his disciples plucked corn and got told off for harvesting on the Sabbath. And, And Jesus said, you know, you've missed the point. This is for you. This is a gift for you. It's not something to be wrapped up with so many rules and regulations that you're just kind of worried that when I go out today after church, if I do this, I'm going to be wrong. It's about accepting this gift, this set-apart day, this something different where everyone gets to remember that they are made in God's image, that they are valued, that they are stewards of creation. It's a place where we get to have a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Because everything Jesus did on the Sabbath was around glimpses of the kingdom of God. He healed people because that's what the kingdom of God is. He demonstrated his presence with people because that's what the kingdom of God is. And our Sabbath is a day to experience the favor of God, his goodness, his presence, his gifts, his control, because we're not in control. His lordship. It's the day that reminds us of what things are going to be like. When you look at that slide, how does it make you feel? You sort of go, no, that's why we spend so many thousands of pounds on spa days, isn't it? Because we want to relax. We want to feel renewed. We want to feel restored. We want to rest. We, a lot of us love our work. We find a huge fulfillment in our work. I love my work. I've made up for all those Sundays off by my whole work being on Sundays. That's why there's a confusion, isn't there? Sabbath, Lord's Day. But we need space to be restored. It's how we were created. It's part of the rhythm of our lives. It's a command. And so this slide was at the beginning for a while, and then it ended up at the end. That's what you're all asking, really, isn't it? Yes, but how? How do I do that? How do I work that out? Well, the thing is that I added this slide to my PowerPoint at 6.15 on Friday evening. And then I had a meeting with Chloe from 6.30 till 8 o'clock. And then I had a choice. And the choice was this. 
work for half of yesterday or take a day off. And you know, that is the reality, isn't it? Because the work is never done. Your to-do list is never finished. There's always things that you could be doing. There's always stuff you could fill in your life with. And it takes huge courage, doesn't it, to say, there's a line here, and I'm going to stop. So I'd stopped. So sorry, I don't know the answer to the question. <laughs> no, really, I did. I stopped. Thank you. And some of this is because, actually, it's not... I don't feel that this is a me prescribed to you. Because actually our lives are different. I work on Sunday pretty much every week. Some weeks are better or worse than other weeks. And some of you work shifts and some of you work nights and some of you are not in, if I use the word, organized work. So you have different ways in which you have to shape your life to make sure that you are not doing stuff every day anyway, because you can still fill your life every single day. It can still be hugely busy. It can still not have a rhythm and pattern to it. So this is about working out how do you guard your day? What does it look like for you and your family and your friends? It actually, I think, works quite well when I've been thinking and reading about it, to go from a kind of tea time or after lunch through to another after lunch or tea time. I think there's something kind of good about maybe taking a morning and doing lots of stuff then and then stopping and having the night and over into the... You know, but it's got to be what looks, looks right for you. It's about guarding it, though, keeping it holy. It's about being refreshed by it. It's about finding a space to enjoy other people Family in its broadest sense, it may be your nuclear family, it may not be. It may be a broader sense of what family feels like on that time. It's a place where you enjoy God, because he's still at the center of the Sabbath. Maybe sometimes that's the thing that we've lost. We've got quite good at leisure, but less good about the enjoying God bit in it. So we're going to share communion quite rapidly at this rate. Sorry, Catherine. And actually, if you're discussing this in your small group, which you might be doing this week, then this is a good thing to ask yourself. Yes, but how? And in your own family situation, then it's coming back again, isn't it? And saying, yes, but how? Maybe you had it all sorted when your kids were five and seven, and now they're 15 and 17. It doesn't feel sorted anymore. (laughs) Maybe when you had a certain work pattern in your life, you had it sorted, but now it doesn't seem sorted anymore because things have changed. And the problem is that we tend to sort of set something and then think it will carry for the rest of our life and it doesn't work like that. But actually to work out how do we have Sabbath and how do we make sure that we have Lord's Day and maybe they'll overlap and maybe they won't exactly, but that we take the goodness of God's gift and see it in our lives. So Catherine banned people... And deacons, please, I think, as well.